Good morning. I think everyone knows me here, but uh, again, um, Josh McGuire, and uh, I'll uh, be giving the the sermon as Ian mentioned. It's my pleasure. So uh, Nick, I would say he's taking some time off, but I know he's busy working on something. But uh, I want to uh, talk about um, overcoming shame uh, today. And uh, as, as part of that, um, let's let's start by uh, reading Luke seven forty eight through fifty. If you don't have a Bible, if you could just raise your hand, and we'll get a Bible to you. And uh, of course, uh, you can take the Bible home if uh, if you don't have one. So as I mentioned, uh, I'm doing something a little different today. We will be. Uh, reading this scripture, um, but I'm going to have a lot of different scriptures because the, the focus really is on this, this topic of, of shame and how to overcome it. So before we read the verse in Luke, let me just set it up for you, give you a little context. So this uh, is when Jesus uh, has been invited to eat with the Pharisees. So he goes and he's in the, in the Pharisee's house and a woman comes and the Bible describes her as an immoral woman. So a, a, a prostitute, a harlot, and she's at Jesus's feet and she's kissing them and her tears are falling on his feet. She's weeping and he's and she's drying the tears with her hair. And that's where this verse comes in. So let's, let's read it. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who are reclining at the table with him begin to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, why did I choose this topic? Um, I've, I was when when Nick asked me to give a sermon, I started praying about how could I love the church, how could I show love for each and every one of you, and I started thinking about what had been really meaningful in my life lately, and uh, I've been going through one of John Piper's books called Future Grace. And there was a chapter in it on shame. And I found that really helpful for me. And so my hope is today that God can work in your heart to help you like he was so gracious in helping me. So we all know what the feeling of shame is like, right? That tenseness in our chest, not being able to let go of something in our mind, just like replaying, you know, an incident over and over and over again, and kind of sinking in our, in the pit of our stomach, or maybe, uh, your face kind of being flushed with the humiliation that others know about this thing. So we, we all know what that feeling is like to feel shame. 
but I think it's helpful to put a definition around it because Christians see or should see shame a little differently than the world. So um, shame is that feeling caused by uh, one of three things. The, f- the first thing is guilt, guilt over doing something wrong. So perhaps uh, looking at uh, pornography or when you're talking to someone, maybe you tell some lies about yourself, you know, that are exaggerations to make yourself seem better. There's, there's, some, there's something that you've done wrong, right? And so the feelings of shame can come from that guilt. A second kind of reason for those feelings is uh, there's some sort of shortcoming you have or uh, uh, a mistake, right? So maybe uh, you did something at work, right? And it just, it was wrong, okay? There's some shame that can come from that. Or perhaps uh, you've tried your hardest at like sports or music, but it's just not good enough, right? And you feel that shame. So that, that can be another reason. And then the third is uh, some sort of a, a social blunder, right? So if uh, perhaps you didn't dress the right way, like if I came up here and tried to preach in a suit, maybe that would be a social blunder. Uh, but uh, or are you like, you know, trip in front of your friends or your enemies physically or, or just, you know, through your words? That, that's another kind of source of shame. Now, God doesn't want us to live in that misery of shame, that that clenching uh, where you don't let go of the sorrow and regret. But that's what I'm here to talk about today. I mean, there is good news, the gospel. It can free us from those feelings of shame. We can start battling it today and overcome it. So what does the scripture say about shame? So I think uh, there are are two lights in which the scripture talks about shame or, or maybe categories. John Piper was helpful in his labels. So he, he labels shame in two ways. The first is what he calls misplaced shame. Okay? And the second is well-placed shame. So for misplaced shame, that's shame that we ought not have. Right. It's shame that uh, over something that does not dishonor God. Okay. Well-placed shame is shame that we should have. And that's shame that is based on dishonoring God. Right. We've either done something or been a part of something that, uh, that brings uh, disrepute on his name. So let me give some examples of that from the the scripture so we can uh, know it's just not made up. So examples of misplaced shame. Paul uh, says in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation. So if you're ashamed of the gospel, that's a misplaced shame. Uh, 
Jesus also says something similar in Mark 8. He says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous generation, the son of man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. So being ashamed of Jesus or his words is a misplaced shame. And uh, Jesus has some words that uh, can be embarrassing to many people in our society, right? He says, don't have sex outside of marriage. That means no fornication. That means no homosexuality, right? So are we ashamed of Jesus' words? If so, that's a misplaced shame. I think also our mistakes and our shortcomings fall into this. um, Because there's a theme here with this misplaced shame. It's not about whether this dishonors God, right? Because these things don't dishonor God. Um, It's not about what God thinks. But instead, the theme here with misplaced shame is it's about what man thinks. Not God, what man thinks. So let's have some examples uh, for well-placed shame. So Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says to some of the people in the church who are doubting the resurrection, he says, become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So a lack of knowledge was leading some in the church to sin and to false doctrine. And this was dishonoring God. Uh, This was not enhancing God's reputation. It was doing the opposite. And again, uh, Paul later says to the church, uh, the, the members were suing each other instead of resolving their disagreements and their problems in the church. They were taking it to court. So Paul says, um, that it's wrong. I say this to your shame. Okay. So we can see the theme there. Again, is the well-placed shame is something that brings dishonor to God, right? And it's about what God thinks. So today I want to urge the body here, all of us, to battle Both types of shame, both misplaced shame and well-placed shame. I I, I hear an objection, at least an objection is raised in my mind. Well, I can understand battling misplaced shame, but why should we battle well-placed shame? It's after all well-placed, right? It's right. Uh, And that's true. Yes, yes, that. Well-placed shame is right, and it's there to serve a purpose. And that purpose is to convict you and lead you to repentance and faith in God. But after that, it served its purpose, right? Lingering well-placed shame is something that needs to be battled. It's no longer helpful, but harmful at that point. So how do we battle this? Sometimes it seems impossible 
to battle shame because it comes back, right? It's not just something that's easily resolved, but you think you get about it again, and that feeling's right there, like it happened, just happened. So how do you battle it? You got to get to the root. And as Christians, we know what the root is. The root is unbelief. We are not trusting God's promises. And that's, you know, another way to say it is how do you battle it? You trust in God's promises. So I want to talk about um, a few promises to, to fight them today. Uh, let's, let's go through some examples. And let's start with the well-placed sin. Okay. We're going to, I'm going to talk about two promises. There are many, many promises, but let's just focus on two. So the first promise is actually from uh, Luke, where we just read. So the, the uh, woman is touching Jesus' feet. She's a sinner, it says. Um, and there is that place for weeping, right, and shame. But not for long. Because what does Jesus say to her? Your sins have been forgiven. And when the guests are grumbling about that, Jesus reemphasizes it to strengthen her faith. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's the same promise for us. Believe it. Right? That woman had a choice. She could believe the Pharisees and continue to feel shame for her immoral life, or she could believe Jesus, that she was clean, that she was fresh, that she could go in peace and not trouble. That's the same decision we have to make. What are we going to choose? So the second promise is similar to the first. Will we believe 1 John 1, 9 that says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is how you battle well-placed shame. You remember those two promises, and there are many more, but you believe God's promise that if you confess and you have faith, you are saved and you can go in peace. So when those thoughts come back about your guilt from something in the past, remember that. Remember, remember today. And then go in peace. Rest in his promise. So let's talk about uh, examples for battling misplaced shame. And again, these are the shortcomings uh, and mistakes, social blunders. How do you battle it? Same thing. You believe his promises. So the first promise that we should believe is that God's grace is enough. And two, that these things, these weaknesses are needed to perfect Christ's power in us. 
So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about a weakness that Paul had, um, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If we want Christ's power in us, we must be weak. This is part of God's plan. Don't be ashamed of these shortcomings, these mistakes. They're good. They're right according to God's plan. So the second promise is along the same lines. Uh, God wants people who make mistakes and blunders to represent him because it brings him glory and not us. So 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 26 through 31, for consider your, your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. What gives God more glory? Knowing exactly what to do and doing it and being successful? Or not knowing what to do and praying about it and trying and failing? And let God take your broken efforts and do miracles. The first, we can get the glory for. The second, no way. Right? God gets the glory for that. Don't be ashamed to be part of God's plan. Right? This is his will. Finally, I want to talk about a type of shame that I think... Maybe the most pervasive and crippling of all, especially in the church. And that is the shame of not doing enough. Not being enough. Honestly, I think sometimes this can fall in either category of well-placed or misplaced shame. But I'm not talking about the the more well-placed shame, where you know you should be doing something absolutely without a doubt, and you're just not doing it, right? I'm talking about what I think is the harder one to resolve. Like you try, but was it enough? Or was it the wrong thing? Or should I have done something to stop this? You know, did I not do enough to prevent something? All those nagging, lingering feelings that you come back to and feel shame about. So let me give you some examples uh, just from my life, right? Of some of those things that roll around in my mind at night, right? Um, So 
I get those feelings when I think about my children. You know, was I not the father I should have been? Did I not do enough? Should I have had more devotions, right? Should I have had more time, you know, when they were young, especially connecting with them, building that strong relationship? Do they now not understand God's love for them because their earthly father didn't have the relationship that he should have or could have with them? Another example that I think about sometimes is uh, Dave Osonga. Um, you may remember him. He attended our church for some years. He had overcome drug and alcohol abuse, and he was excited about the Lord. My family had a special connection with him because he prayed uh, and just had a deep concern for my sister-in-law who struggled with some of the same issues. Um, you may also know that he relapsed into alcoholism and died. I think about that. Did we do enough? Did I do enough? Should I have gone to visit him? Should I have encouraged him more through the scriptures? Should I have called him? He called me, but I didn't call him. What about our church? Do we do enough? There are other examples. I know um, uh, I'm not a woman, but I've heard a lot uh, of things in this nature, like of this nature, uh, women thinking, you know, I'm not kind enough. I'm not sweet enough. I'm not a good enough wife. I'm not a good enough mom. I mean, the examples are endless. How do we attack these feelings of shame that we're not enough? We go back to the promises and we believe them. When two promises for us to hang on to. First, we are not enough. Right? We've all fallen short. Right? We've sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. Now that doesn't seem encouraging, but it is. Because it sets us up for the second promise. And the second promise is that God has sent a helper, the Holy Spirit, to us so that we are enough. John 14 says this, if you love me, this is Jesus speaking, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. I will not leave you alone as orphans. I will come to you. <clears throat> this is the good news. We are called to, to keep God's, Jesus' commandments, which we fail when we do ourselves out of self-will. But the good news is that Jesus didn't leave us alone to try and do it on our own. Right? He sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's help is enough. So you may have the objection. Um, if you 
know, the Holy Spirit is enough. Why do I not feel like it's enough? Right. Um, and I think the answer is because we're still relying on ourself, our own will to accomplish this. So I have a question for you. If you believe that the Holy Spirit is helping you, can you also say his help is not enough? Remember, because the Holy Spirit is helping us, we have, uh, it's no longer us, but Christ who is doing these things, right? Paul says in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved him, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not our own will that's accomplishing this. So you may have another objection. Uh, if the Holy Spirit is helping me, why did this situation turn out to be a complete disaster? So I think the answer to this is because we don't have the perspective to see the true situation. And the, the example, I think the best example, is Jesus Christ's own death. Right? If you look at that, sure didn't look like he did enough or he did the wrong things. Right? He didn't do anything to defend himself. With the rulers. Right? He walked right into their hands. Right? He angered the wrong people. And what happened? Disaster. He was crucified. Right? Disciples scattered. His work came to an end. Right? Ministry was over. Sure looked like a disaster, but we know. On the back end... (laughs) That's not true, right? It was not a disaster. It was the accomplishment of perfection in all things. Okay? In the same way, in the same way, our disasters will accomplish perfection. Okay? If we pursue through faith, we have the same helper that Jesus Christ had. Right? The end will be the same. Finally, you may have uh, another objection, but I don't know if my not doing enough or not being enough is misplaced shame or well-placed shame. Right? What, you know, how do I know how to deal with this? Well, I think, uh, you know, if in doubt, whether it's fall, falling in one category or another, or maybe, I mean, like, like me, it falls in both, perhaps, <laughs> you can go back, um, confess that sin, um, and know that you've been saved and go in peace. And when those feelings keep coming back, to know that Christ can use our weakness for his glory and that his help is enough. So just to put that in more concrete 
terms, returning back to my example, just my relationship with my kids. And I'm thinking in particular right now of, uh, of Christian. So I've confessed, you know, there are times where I was not the father I should be, should have been. And I believe in God saved me. And now I have applied the promise, the command even, to go in peace. Right? So when that thought comes back in my mind, I think of that. I'm clean. Right? I can now go in peace. And when I struggle now to to build that relationship that I want so desperately, right? Some of those feelings can still come, right? Because he's off in college and I'm like, how do I do this now? It's too late. And, you know, I'm, you know, I try to you know, text him and find topics we can talk about and, you know, some peter out and some work better than others. But I'm pursuing this in faith, right? Because I, because I trust God. And even if my efforts look like mistakes are not enough. I trust that the helper is with me and they are enough because of that. And I'm pursuing them in faith, knowing that God is responsible for that. And he can take whatever seems like a disaster or a a misstep and he can turn it to his glory. So right now I want to do something a little different. Um, I think it's easy when you hear maybe a, a sermon or a teaching to let it be theoretical. Uh, but I want to take just one minute and let everyone here spend that minute thinking about one of those incidents that brings you shame. Maybe it's with your children too. Maybe it's with a brother or sister or parents. Or maybe it's something that happened at work. Or maybe it's the way you look and how you feel about yourself. But please, let's just take one minute and think about it and then apply one of those promises we've talked about. And I'll I'll mention them again, but take this minute to do that. of this thing you're thinking about is a well-placed shame. You can put your stake in the ground today and know that if you confess it and have faith that God can cleanse you, 
that you will be saved and you can go in peace. And if it's a, a weakness, a social blunder, a mistake, a shortcoming, you can know and just apply this right now that that weakness can glorify God. It does. And if you feel like you're not enough in some way, you can know the promise that you have the helper. The Holy Spirit and His help is enough. Okay. Now, when that feeling comes back, which it will, um, you can remember today. And you can remember how you battled it with the scripture that you battled it with. So you can fight it and know the truth and believe and be set free. So in summary, uh, the shame, the continued shame is not from God, right? He wants us to be free, right? We know that his word is the truth, and the truth will set you free. And just like it says in Isaiah, he came to set the prisoners free. Keep battling it. Romans ten eleven says, Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So believe that... With his helper, our efforts are enough. So believe that our blunders and shortcomings, our weaknesses, that glorify God. And finally, believe that your sins have been forgiven. That your faith has saved you. And go in peace. Let's pray. Father, I pray now um, just for the people in the church who love you, but who struggle, who fight with these thoughts, and maybe they haven't known how to overcome them, to know that Lord, the secret is faith in you. It's not a secret, but sometimes it does seem like it. But Lord, just make your promises so tangible, so real, and increase our body's faith so that we can depend on you, so we can believe that you've forgiven, and we can obey your command, Lord. We want to obey it to go in peace and not continue in trouble. We want to believe that our weaknesses are really your strength. And we want to believe that your help is enough pursuing these things in faith. The Holy Spirit will help us. Lord, make all these things so true. Lord, we do not, we are not slaves to sin. 
We're not under the law, but under grace. I just pray that when these feelings come of failings in relationships with your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your sons, your daughters, that you let us battle these, Lord, so that we're not trapped in them. Lord, that's not where you want us to be. Your help is enough. With that, we are enough. Now help us to believe and go in peace as you commanded. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.